We hope you enjoy this podcast from Light Church Edithburg. To find out more about us, visit lightchurch.co. Well, why don't you take your seats, if you haven't done already. For those who don't know me, my name's Darren, um, pastor here at Light Church. And uh, we're going to uh, open up the word now. Can we put that picture up? Uh, uh, the next one. Do I give you a picture? Who, who remembers who those are? Who's old enough? Who's old enough? Come on, don't make me come out there. I was three at the time. Yeah. So I remember it well. First two guys on the moon. Um, some of you young folk thought they were like, you know, COVID-19 uh, disinfectant guys. First two guys on the moon, Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldridge. Aldridge. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know Buzz. I'll just call him Buzz. Buzz Lightyear. Buzz Lightyear and Neil Armstrong. 1969, Apollo 11. The whole mission was run by a computer smaller than your phone you have. It filled a room but had less power than your phone, unless you've got a Samsung, of course. No. Ooh. And since, you know, when those guys came down, I, I'm, I reckon when they landed, there were thousands of questions. What was it like? They would have been invited to countless discussions, talks. Hello. It's my little friend. Schools, universities, conferences. Tell us about what it was like to walk on the moon. Now, at the same time, there was probably, I don't know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of scientists who knew more about the moon than these guys. Astrophysicists. Uh, they knew about the atmosphere and the dimensions. They knew about the orbit, the gravitational pulls, you know, what sort of cheese it's made out of. There was experts who knew that. But these guys experienced something that the experts only read about or only studied about. They experienced walking on the moon. And, you know, as we follow Jesus together... It's important that we learn all we can about God, you know, study the Bible, the Holy Spirit, who he was, who he is, what it all means, reading, listening, getting together. But we follow a living God, not just a historical one. He's living and active today and we can experience him as well as know about him. And we're invited not just to know about God, not just to study God, but to experience his presence. One of my favourite verses uh, in the Bible is Ephesians 3, 18 and 19. I think we've got this, Andrew. May you have the power to experience the love of Christ, although it's too great. Hey, can you go to the verse before, verse 18? Didn't give you that one? 
Who, who's put those words up? Oh, actually, that was me. Sorry, guys. I'll read it out, verse 18. Verse 18 says, May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how high, and how deep his love is. May you have the power to understand. It's talking about your mind, isn't it? Understand. And then verse 19, it says, And may you experience the love of God. There's a difference between understanding something and experiencing something. It's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete in the fullness of life and power that comes from God. It's, there's something about understanding God. And there's another thing about experiencing, experiencing his presence. Psalm 24, verse 8, we haven't got this one. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Don't just look at a distance. Don't just, you know, don't just study, but taste is talking about our senses. It's talking about uh, getting close. Now, I don't mind the look of a steak. You know, how do you like yours? Medium rare? But don't send me a picture of your meal. Send me a voucher so I can go and experience it. Because it looks okay, but I'd rather taste it than look at it. And I suppose I know lots of people, many people with a far greater knowledge about the theology and Bible than I would ever have. And some of them have experiences with God, but some of them just only know God in theory form. They know about God, they've read all the texts. It's just another volume sitting on their shelf. But as we read the scriptures, we, we read time and time again about people who encountered God who encountered Jesus, they were transformed. He touched them and they were healed. Their outlook was changed, their character was changed, their walk was changed. Some were bound and they received freedom. They were radically changed. The woman who had the hemorrhage for all those years touched Jesus and her life was transformed. Not only was she healed, but she was then able to be part of normal society which she would have been excluded from because of her situation. He touched people with, of affluence like Nicodemus who was well known and well to do, respectable person, you must be born again. And then the lowest part of society, on the cross, the thief, after a, a life of crime, Jesus, he encountered Jesus. There's a guy we know only as legion, that wasn't his name, but it says he was filled with so much mental and spiritual torment, demon-possessed, that they called him this name legion, which was a thousand soldiers. A life of isolation and self-harm. He lived in the graveyards, used to just mess himself up, was transformed when he encountered Jesus. Something amazing happens. Not just when we know about God, but when we experience God. Um, we're satisfied, we're inspired, we're changed. The love of God is to be understood and experienced. And um, we're going to start a series today called Encounters with God. We're going to look at some of the encounters of God throughout the Bible and hopefully ourselves have an encounter with God. I I'm sure there's many in this room who can remember moments where, over the years when you encountered God. I don't know, might have been at some sort of camp or conference or maybe just alone in your own lounge room. And that encounter gave 
new meaning or new reality to what you knew about God. Something changed, something shifted in those moments. And we need to have a living, alive, dynamic moment with God. Can you remember some of those moments? Have you had any of those moments? A God encounter is a powerful moment. Hey, we need more of those moments. You don't need the same moment. You don't need to go back to 1972 or 1969. But you need to have a moment with God. And uh, we're going to read about one guy's encounter with God. Uh, Isaiah, Isaiah 6, from verse 1 to 8. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. This is Isaiah. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And attending him were mighty seraphim, or angels, that's what an angel, each having six wings, two wings they covered their face, two they covered their feet, and two two they flew. What's your picture of an angel? Has it got six wings? Whenever they're described in the Bible, they've got heaps of eyes and six wings there. They're probably not that little cherub which you imagine. They were calling out to one another, holy, holy, holy. You know, when you see things in the Bible repeated three times, sometimes it's actually said three times, or sometimes it's actually written three times to give it real emphasis. Not just holy, but holy, but holy. It was like they wrote it three times to give that emphasis. Really holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple. Imagine being in this scene. To its foundation, the entire building was filled with smoke. Then I said, Isaiah, that's it. It's all over. I'm doomed. For I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips. (laughs) And I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I have seen the king, the Lord of heaven's armies. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs and he touched my lips. He touched my lips with it and said, see the coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, whom should I send as a messenger to this people? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am, send me. We're going to just pause and pray. And Lord, we pray that, I pray that as, we speak, as I speak today that um, people will see you in a new light. We'll have a, a hunger to encounter you, the living God. That you'll do something within our, make us more like Jesus today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, as far as I can sort of work out, Isaiah before this moment was already serving. He was serving in a court he was a, what they call a scribe. He was in some sort of ministry serving the king. He had a knowledge of God. He might have even been considered a prophet before this moment. But then he had this moment where his whole, uh, whole new way of seeing God, it powerfully impacted him. And he sees God like he's never seen him before. He experiences something overwhelming. Who knows what it is? Is it a dream, a vision? Who, I don't know what's going on here but it's incredibly powerful and as well as seeing God in a whole new way he sees himself in a different way as well Um, have you have you ever had a moment you thought you're doing pretty well and then you go into an environment and you see yourself in a different light 
Um, I've had this mis um, experience as a musician many times when you think you're doing okay and then you go and watch someone or play with someone who's just really good and you realise, hmm, perhaps I'm not the rock star I thought I was. It happened to me once um, with a guy called James Morrison. Someone you... Any uh, trumpet players? Probably one of the best trumpet players in the world would be considered. But I was at, in Adelaide at a worship event and he came to play trumpet for it. He learnt trumpet in church. And um, he wasn't just playing trumpet, but he also played trombone and flute, heap of other wind, wind instruments, piano, guitar, or not guitar, drums. He's playing all these things. And he jumps on piano and he's got these little fat fingers. I don't know if you've seen and he starts playing the old rugged cross on piano. And he's ten times better than I was on his fourth, fifth, sixth and seventh instrument. And all of a sudden I thought, wow, perhaps I'm not. I've got a little bit further to go. You can be pretty darn good until you, when you've got not much to compare with. And when Isaiah... So God, he saw himself in a different way. He saw his lack, he saw his flaws, he saw his faults. Wow. I remember getting dressed in low light sometimes. Anyone got dressed in low light? You want to get out early, not disturb the family. You think you're looking pretty good and then you go in the bathroom and you switch the light on you think, oh my goodness. <laughs> Hang on. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, with the emphasis on the fearfully, you know? It's like, is that what I really look like? When the lights were low, I looked okay. But as soon as the sun came out a bit, I didn't look so good. Now, this is what's happening with Isaiah. When the light of God's glory came, he saw his own flaws. He felt unclean. He's fallen short. My life is full of sin. I'm so unclean. He didn't notice that before, but when he saw God. But I love what happens in this encounter. When we sort of consider God, we can often think, gee, I don't measure up. I just don't measure up. I'm just not good enough. He is perfect. He is radiant. And we always seem like we're flawed and lacking. And Isaiah felt so much like that, he thought he was going to die. This is so powerful, he said. But the good news is that God isn't put off by people who haven't got it together. He knows full well what I'm like and what you're like. And he still wants to meet with us. He wants us to encounter him. And as you read on, you see the, a picture of the work of Jesus. And I love that Isaiah said, oh, I'm a man of unclean lips. So God says, okay, I'll grab a coal and touch your lips. I reckon if he said, my eyes have seen terrible things, he would have done something with his eyes. Just to deal with what the issue in Isaiah's was focusing on. And he touched his lips with his coal and he says, see, your sin's gone. One touch from God transforms us. His grace touches the parts of our life that are broken and don't measure up and he cleanses us and he takes the weight off. Now God doesn't drop his standards. Some people think, well God can't come me because he's a holy God and I'm just a 
a groveling rat in the ground. You never see him like that in the Bible, actually. God doesn't drop his standards to, to, make, to make us right. He deals with the things in our life. He lifts us up. It's a picture of the work of Jesus. And the coal was put on Isaiah's lips, not to destroy something, but to cleanse something, to perfect it. When Jesus came, you always see him touching people who he wasn't supposed to touch, people who were considered unclean. You touched the leper in those days and you were supposed to go for this whole ritual cleansing. Or a dead person, you had to go for cleansing. Jesus just ignored all the rules. Because in those days, if you touched someone unclean, you became unclean. That's, but Jesus reversed it. So when Jesus touched someone, he infected them. They didn't infect him. It's like he infected them with his love and his grace and his transformation. He, he turned the whole thing around. And he still does that now. See, his grace and his love is far more powerful than anything you've gotten yourself into. And one touch from God can transform us. He transfers his wholeness into our brokenness. And we become whole. And we become accepted. See, an encounter with God, an encounter with Jesus makes us more like him. That's what it does. Uh, how often have I heard people, I can't come near God, I'm too this, I'm too that. I can't come in the church, the roof will fall down. You know, those sort of things. He just got it the wrong way around. Whatever your picture of God is, wherever you got it from, you got it wrong. Because the God you see in the Bible is actually the opposite. Even in the Garden of Eden, we see the story of Adam and Eve, and where was God? He was looking for them. All th every time, every time someone messed up, God came down and looked for them. Jesus doesn't come to shame us. He comes to embrace us, to give us his life, to transform us to empower us, to fill us. And, and with Isaiah, he's got something for us to do. He doesn't, he says, I've got a mission for you. Who will go for me? Isaiah's there, he's the only one there. Well, I suppose it's me. I'll, I'll do it, send me. You know, Isaiah, I reckon he needed that encounter because if you trace the rest of his life, he was always telling people to do things and they weren't particularly listening to him. And I reckon when things were going wrong, he was remembering that encounter with God and say well I'm not feeling it now but I remember that moment and that moment was so powerful that I'm convinced of the awesomeness of God even though the evidence at the moment when I'm speaking to these people isn't there that's one reason why we need those encounters with God because we go through moments where we question through tough moments we, you know we were praying about them before we meet those moments with God. So we don't just know God in theory. We know God, taste, taste and see that God is good. Where we hear God, we feel God, the senses of God. As, uh, Hebrews 4 verse 16. Let us boldly come to the throne of our gracious God where we receive his mercy and find grace to help us when we need it.
You know, I, I want us to be a church where people feel welcome. I want us to be a church where we make a difference in our community, but more than that, I want to be a, us to be a church where people encounter God. You know, this account takes... If you go back to that very first verse of Isaiah 6, I think it's really important that we just note something. In the year that Uzziah died, now you'll remember that year, don't you? There was something about that year. I didn't put the date in, but some people just remember when something happened. I remember 9-11. Actually, I do remember that. I was, in my, I was about to go to work at Maya and sell suits, and it was on the TV. Some of you remember when your team ran the grand final. Hey, some of you remember that day you got married or that day your baby was born. You always remember, sometimes you forget the date, but you remember the moment. The king Uzziah, uh, Uzziah died was eight, about 800 BC. And um, some people could not remember the year. Who's old enough to, to remember when Elvis died? Come on, where's all those astronaut people? Young people, Elvis, he was a singer. <laughs> he wore sort of rhinestone-covered um, white pyjamas type things <laughs> in Vegas. It was the year Uzziah died. This happened at a certain point in history. And um, if you read about Uzziah, he was the king of um, Judea or Judah. Israel was in sort of two parts at this time, and he was the king over one. He became the king at the age of 16. Imagine a 16-year-old boy becoming king. Nothing could go wrong there, could it? But I tell you what, he reigned, he was a good king. He reigned for 52 years. And if you follow uh, his story, it, um, you see it was a period of prosperity for the kingdom he designed weapons and fortified cities. He set up import and export markets. He sponsored agriculture, cattle breeding. He, he got them breeding cattle. Uh, he dug some new wells so there was a, a better water source. He started really well. He did, it says he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And then he became famous and powerful and successful and the people loved him. But then, guess what? He got wrapped up in his own success. Pride sort of snuck in. And he did things he wasn't supposed to do. He snuck in and he went to offer sacrifices, which was only, wasn't his job. He was warned not to do it. It was only for the priest to do that. And he thought, well, I'm King Uzziah. I can do it. Pride grew. And Uzziah ended up, the end of his story is he got leprosy. And he died. Died in that state. And Isaiah knew, King, uh, Isaiah knew King Uzziah well because he was his scribe, one of his scribes. The year he died, this happened. And I was thinking about that and I think, you know, the grace of God, the encounter of God, they're all free but just one thing has to die and that's pride. For us to, before we encounter God. God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. God, it says God opposes the proud in 1 Peter 5 verse 5. Or humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. 
And I think that's the key to any encounter with God. Everything from God is free. We only need to get rid of one thing, pride. What is pride that says, well, I can do it by myself. I don't need God. The humble heart. The humility that says, no, I need you, God. The year King Uzziah, the year pride died, let's call it that. I saw the Lord. And that could be the only thing that, you know, I've had an encounter with God a while ago, I'm doing okay, maybe I just need to humble myself again. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I can sort of uh, think, well, I'm doing okay. You become self-reliant. The blessing of God is great, but then it's sort of, you think you're self-made. Don't become like that. Let's always, let's always humble ourselves. You know, I found this out. You either humble yourself or you get humbled. Has anyone else found that? You're either humbled by, you know, God, he tries to get through you this way. First he'll speak to your heart. Then he'll get a friend to speak to you. Then he'll speak to you to a message. And then if you don't get through, something will happen in public. You know, he, he's going to humble you somewhere. And you get to choose, I think, either you can humble yourself or you be humbled. That's what I've found. I've probably been on both of those spaces, in both of those spaces. I thought we'd just spend a moment where, where here I am, Lord. I want to encounter you. I want to see something. I don't want to let those things which are not great in my life stop me. Lord, I ask for you to grab that coal and just touch my life too. Cleanse me, Lord. Then the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and he said, See, the coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. Then I heard the Lord asking, Whom shall I send as a messenger? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Send me.